We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 this morning. I always find it super encouraging and exciting when we get to go through a gospel. Uh, because that means weekend and week out, we get to spend a lot of time with Jesus and learn from Jesus and just see the greatness of Jesus. And that's my hope this morning that as we are in Luke 5 this morning that we see some great things about Jesus that would greatly encourage us. So would you pray with me to that end this morning? Father God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospels. I thank you um, that you reveal to us the person and work of Jesus Christ and that he is mighty. He is great. He is awesome. And I just pray that we would just be in awe of Jesus, not only today, but throughout this year as we spend this uh, time in this gospel, that we're going to be thinking a lot about Jesus, looking a lot about Jesus. I pray that Jesus really does become our, our highest treasure and our greatest prize, and that we would love you more from spending time with you. So I pray that you would be speaking to us this morning. I pray that you would be working in us. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. So I've been living in Fremont for a while now, and I think I've kind of discovered that um, people kind of know some things about me. Uh, I, I've kind of discovered that I, I kind of make things known um, that, I, that I'm kind of all about. I think people know very well that I'm all about Star Wars and, and superhero movies, that I'm all about the Nebraska Cornhuskers, um, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the Kansas City Royals, uh, that I love to go biking, that I love music, uh, that I love the word. Uh, but I think there's one thing that most of you probably don't know about me that I'm going to reveal to you this morning, and that is that I am an expert fisherman. Now, don't laugh. I know you may find that hard to believe to be true. I don't look very fisherman-y, but let me tell you this. I have gone fishing every year, I'm pretty sure, for the last 20 years. And every single time that we go fishing, we catch fish. I mean, we actually catch a lot of fish. I mean, every single time, without fail, we have no problem catching fish. And we're talking good-sized fish as well. We're not talking like little fish. We're talking good-sized fish that we catch. Now, here's the thing. I know exactly the right type of bait to use. I know the white equipment that we need to use. I know the exact right time of the day to fish. And I know where the best spot is to fish. So this morning, I bet you, you were just wondering, Jim, what are your master fisherman skills that you have? How do you do this? Well, I know that most fishermen don't reveal or like to reveal their, their fishing secrets that they have, but guess what? Today, I'm going to reveal mine to you. I'm that generous of a guy. So are you ready for this? All right, here we go. So you might want to get your notepad out ready to write these things down. So every year when our family, when we go to Estes Park, for vacation. We go to this little place called Trout Haven. And let me tell you, it is the best stocked pond around. I mean, it is fantastic. They got the best bait. They've got its worms or shrimp or, or grubs. I mean, they've got it all ready. They've got all the equipment that you could possibly need to catch the fish. Now, here's one of the things that I have learned because I'm so smart. You've got to go in the morning 
to fish there when it's cool and the fish are still up on the surface and not in the afternoon when it gets warmer and the sun warms up the pond and the fish go low and before the workers feed the fish as well. You need to go early when it's cool and when the fish are hungry. That's when they bite the most. Now here's the thing about fishing at a stocked pond. It makes a clueless guy like me look like an expert fisherman and looks like I know exactly what I am doing. Now, here's the thing. You're wondering, where are you going with this, Jim? Um, So in Luke chapter 5 today, we're going to take a look at Jesus. And on the surface, Jesus does not look like an expert fisherman. And yet he's going to show us that not only does he know a thing or two about catching a lot of fish, he knows even more about what it means to catch men. And that's where we're really headed this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, the screen, the, I mean, I'm sorry, the passage is going to be on the screen that you can follow along as I read. But if you could stand with me in honor of reading God's word this morning. This is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, And he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "'Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch.'" And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish that their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that had taken place. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You may be seated. So there are two movements that I want us to see here in our passage. The first movement we see is actually a very quick one in verses 1 through 3. We see that there's a crowd that is gathered around Jesus. And we can tell that in this moment, Jesus just happens to be the flavor of the month with the masses at this point in time. It even says that the crowds are pressing in on Jesus. So it gives us a sense that Jesus is pretty popular in this moment. And what's interesting is to see what the crowds are wanting to hear. It says that they are wanting to hear a word from the Lord from Jesus. This crowd has some sort of understanding that there is something different about Jesus, that his teachings uh, come with power and authority, and they want to hear this from Jesus. So Jesus does the gracious thing, and he teaches this crowd. 
And there's some intentionality about Jesus, how he goes about teaching this crowd. He gets into a boat. He's looking for a boat, and uh, not any random boat, right? Jesus happens to get into Simon's boat. Now, just to make sure we're on the same page here, this Simon that we're talking about this passage is actually Peter, and that's how I'll refer to him as we go throughout this passage here this morning. But you have to look at this situation and know that this did not come about by happenstance. I believe that there's some sovereignty in play here. Jesus, I believe, knows exactly whose boat he's getting into. This is why Jesus is here. Jesus wants to be in Peter's boat because Jesus is after Peter. Jesus has already begun fishing for men at this moment. Now, we don't know a thing about what Jesus teaches from the scene on the lake, which would be super interesting, right, to know what did you teach here, Jesus? But we do know what happens after Jesus teaches, and that takes us to the second movement, which is the rest of the passage this morning, where Jesus goes from teaching to the crowd to teaching an important object lesson to these fishermen who are going to become his disciples. In verse 4, we see that Jesus makes an unusual uh, request of Simon. He's put out, he says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I mean, the reality is this is an unreasonable command that's coming from a carpenter and a teacher to a bunch of professional fishermen. Yet even though this seems like a very unreasonable command, Peter uh, is, or I'm sorry, Jesus is making a guarantee that they will make a catch. And we see from Peter's response in verse 5 that this truly is an unusual request. Now the first thing that Peter does is he addresses Jesus as master, which really means he's addressing him as rabbi or teacher. I mean, Peter is recognizes, recognizes that there are these qualities that are found in Jesus. I mean, he was actually right next to Jesus in the boat while he was teaching the crowd. And the next thing Peter says to Jesus is, We toiled all night, and we took in nothing. So this is the expert fisherman talk coming through in this moment. Peter has already worked hard all night fishing. We know this because we see in verse 2 that they were washing their nets from the work they they had done the night before. Peter is plying here to Jesus. It's the wrong time of day for us to be fishing. We don't fish in the day when the water is warm. The fish don't like to come to the surface at that time. This is why they were fishing at night. Peter is saying here that, hey, listen, Jesus, we fished at the right time of day We tried all the tricks of our trade, used all of our wisdom and experience as professional fishermen. We worked really hard all night, and we caught nothing. So there's no way we're going to catch any fish right now in this moment. What Luke is wanting to do at this point is to give us no reason to believe that they're going to catch any fish at this time of day. Yet, for some reason, Peter decides, you know, well, let's go ahead and humor Jesus with this request when he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Maybe Peter heard something while Jesus was teaching teaching that made him think, you know, maybe we should listen to this Jesus. I mean, he did have a front row seat while Jesus taught. At any rate, 
Peter does exactly what Jesus says in verse 6. The nets are let down, and you get the sense from this verse that almost immediately they get this catch of fish. But this is no ordinary catch, right? I mean, this is a huge catch that they have taken in. That the catch is so huge that their nets are beginning to break. This is a massive catch. The catch is so immense that they call for the other boat that's with them to come over to help them bear the weight of the load of the fish that they are taking in. The second boat arrives, and we see that they are also of no help. Both boats are now filling with fish. They're filled with so much fish that now both boats are starting to sink. This is a miraculous event that is taking place right in front of Peter. And Peter clearly gets what's going on in this moment. I mean, just look at his reaction in verse 8. I mean, the first thing we see that Peter does is he falls down in front of Jesus. Peter is humbled to be in the presence of Jesus. Then look at what Peter says to Jesus. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, why would Peter ask Jesus to leave his presence? Like, why would he say that to him? Well, I think Peter is recognizing two things in this moment here. The first is the most obvious one, is Peter realizes his own sinfulness, which is something that he readily admits. We see here that Peter is being honest in his own self-evaluation. Peter is able to see himself very clearly and accurately in this moment, and he does not deny it. He says, I am a sinful man which is a really humbling thing to do. And it's in this place of humility in Peter that is going to result in a call from Jesus on his life to follow him, which just goes to show that the Lord works in the heart of the humble, which I think is a real important lesson for us to learn. But the second thing that Peter acknowledges in this moment is that Jesus is not sinful. I believe that Peter, through this miracle that Jesus performs, recognizes holiness in Jesus. I mean, this scene is very reminiscent of the scene of Isaiah 6 that Ryan read to us earlier. When Isaiah sees the holiness of God, he falls down and he recognizes his sinfulness against God's holiness. Peter sees something different in Jesus because now Peter calls Jesus Lord. Peter now sees power, authority, sovereignty, holiness in Jesus. And there's been a change that has taken place in Peter. He sees something extraordinary now in Jesus. To go from calling him master or teacher in verse 5 to now calling him Lord in verse 8. But Peter's not the only one that sees these things in Jesus, right? Because if you look in verse 9, we read that all who were with Peter in both boats are astonished at the catch of fish that they have taken in. Now, it's one thing for a regular guy like me, if I was on that boat, to see this great catch of fish take place and be amazed by it all. 
But I think it's another thing entirely that these trained, experienced, professional fishermen are astonished by this catch of fish. I mean, you would have to imagine that in their time as fishermen, that they've had their fair share of great catches. So to amaze these guys with this catch, you know it has to be significant. We also see in this moment that two other fishermen, soon to be disciples of Jesus, James and John, are also present at this great catch of fish, which I believe is a little more sovereignty of Jesus on display. Jesus is fishing for James and John as well. And then at the end of verse 10, we get the point of the miracle as Jesus now teaches the object lesson from this incredible catch of fish. Notice the first thing that Jesus says to Peter. He says, do not be afraid. I love these words from Jesus. I mean, this is something that Jesus says pretty much every time someone encounters the greatness of Jesus and falls to the ground in this way to him. And this tells us two things about Jesus. The first thing it tells us is that there is something to fear in Jesus. He is powerful. He is mighty. He is sovereign. He is God. And these are good and right reason that we should have a reverent fear of him. Like, I don't know if you've seen any videos, like, on YouTube of, of people that are, like, hiking or, or fishing up in, up in Alaska or, or maybe at Yellowstone, and they come across a great big grizzly bear, right? I mean, I watch those videos, and I think in that moment, if I were there, my heart would be pounding out of my chest because you've come across something that is so much bigger and more powerful and mighty than you are that it strikes this fear in your heart. But you see, in Jesus, not only is there greatness in him that should cause us to fear him, there is also holiness in him that demands a right fear of him. Holiness that, that we are sinful and he is sinless and that he is in a category all by himself, that there is no one like him and no one that can compare with him. This puts his greatness at a whole nother level. And this is what we are seeing here in Jesus and why Peter is in fear. But the second thing that this teaches us about Jesus is that he wants to alleviate those fears in us because of what Jesus says to Peter, right? He says to him, do not be afraid. I mean, Jesus, what he's wanting to do in moments like these is he's wanting to calm our fears, Jesus wants to draw us close to him. I mean, this is actually a command that is given, right? Do not fear. This is a command that Jesus is giving to Peter. And those are really comforting words of Jesus. He, what he's doing in that moment is he's inviting us in. That he's saying, come. This is an encouraging command from Jesus to enter in. Jesus is tearing down barriers between us and himself. He is removing the separation, and this is good news. Then the next thing Jesus does in teaching the object lesson directly from this miracle, where he says, from now on, you will be catching men. 
Now, there are several things to point out from this little phrase of Jesus that he says right here. The first is that Jesus tells Peter they will be catching men. This is not, you know, you might be catching men, or you'll sometimes catch men, or you'll probably catch men. No, he's saying that you will catch men, that this is an absolute certainty. It is going to happen, and there's nothing going to stop it from happening. There's no discussion, there's no debate, there's no doubt about it. They will catch men. There will be followers of Jesus. And the reason that this will happen is because it's declared by Jesus and it's promised by Jesus. Everything that Jesus says comes to reality. Jesus is saying, just as we caught fish, you will catch men. And not only will they absolutely catch men, but because of the language that Jesus is using in that phrase, it actually means that they will continually be catching men. This is a continuous catching. This is an ongoing catching. It will happen and it will keep on happening. There's more that Jesus is wanting to teach from this object lesson. I mean, let's just think about what happened with the great catch of fish and then see how it applies to catching men here. Remember, it was Jesus who initiates the call to catch the fish, right? Jesus is the first one that says to Peter, hey, Peter, let's go do this. And then Jesus is also the one that is guiding the fish. He calls Peter to say, put your net out in the deep water. And then Jesus is actually the one that provides the catch, right? Remember, the disciples had not caught a single fish the night before. They caught nothing. And then all of a sudden, at the command of Jesus, they catch this record amount of fish. Which I think what we're supposed to see in this is that Jesus is the one that does all the work of catching the fish. And Jesus does all of this work in an amazing way. I mean, Jesus catches the fish at the wrong time. The professional fishermen fish at night, which is the best time. Jesus catches fish during the day, which is the worst time. Jesus catches the fish at the wrong spot. These expert fishermen didn't catch a single fish in this lake the night before, yet Jesus fishes at the exact same spot and catches all these fish. And Jesus brings in way more fish than the skilled fishermen could have possibly imagined. And Jesus does this to show all these men who will become his disciples how they will go about catching men. They are going to do this by the power of Jesus that works in them. Jesus will do the work to bring people in. It may not always be in the way that we think it should happen. It may not be at the right time that we think it should take place. It may not be at the right place that we think it should take place. But Jesus will bring his people in. And Jesus will do way more than we can ask or even imagine. Because this miracle that takes place here in Luke 5 not only shows us the power of Jesus, I think it also shows us the generosity of Jesus. That Jesus is gracious and kind. He's going to bring in a whole lot of people. He's not going to bring in a few. He wants to bring many people in. 
So one point of the object lesson here in Luke 5 is that it elevates the awesomeness of Jesus. His mission will be accomplished and the task will be completed in his power. And nothing will be able to stand against the mission of Jesus of bringing men and women to himself. But there's also a lesson for the fishermen or for the disciples here as well. The disciples only had to obey the voice of Jesus. They had to set out their boats to the place where Jesus told them to go. They had to drop their nets just like Jesus told them to do. And then they had to watch the power of Jesus go to work. The disciples just needed to listen to the voice of Jesus and follow Jesus. And most importantly, they had to trust the voice of Jesus in in some unreasonable requests that Jesus is going to do what he said he was going to do. And this is good news for us. I mean, we're called to be part of this mission to catch men. So this object lesson is meant to be for our instruction and for our encouragement as well. We are to be used by Jesus to catch men. Yet, it's convicting too, isn't it? I mean, I will tell you this. It was convicting for me to be thinking about this passage because too often I feel like Peter. I mean, I don't see a lot of potential taking place around me. I can be pretty pessimistic when it comes to the idea of catching men for Jesus. I doubt it's going to make any difference that is not going to work and that I'm just not going to do much. Like I've toiled all night and I've caught nothing. So why, why should I keep trying? So this passage challenges me. It challenges me in a couple of ways. One is that my view of Jesus is still too small to think that Jesus can do something incredible. And it's also a call for me to trust in Jesus, to trust his words. It's a call to obey the voice of Jesus. It's a call to take a step of faith, to tell others about Jesus, to push the boat out to the water once again and to lower the net and see what Jesus does. Jesus said they will catch men and that they will catch men the same way Jesus caught fish. That they're going to catch a whole lot of men and women. And that's what Peter specifically ends up doing. I mean, Jesus looks at Peter and says to him, for now on, you will catch men. I mean, if you fast forward to about three years from the event of Luke chapter 5 in Acts chapter 2 which is also written by Luke, Peter goes fishing for men and women when he preaches to the crowd that's gathered around him during Pentecost there in Jerusalem. And when Peter is done preaching, or you could say when he's done fishing, verse 41 tells us that 3,000 people were saved that day. That is quite a huge catch of men and women for Jesus. Then Peter goes on and preaches Jesus again in Acts chapter 3. And when Peter is done 
preaching this sermon, we read in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4 that the number of believers is up to 5,000. So another huge catch of men and women for Jesus has taken place. The promise of Jesus to Peter in Luke 5 starts to come true in Luke chapter 2 and chapter 3 and the rest of the book. And Jesus has continued to catch countless numbers of men and women over the past 2,000 years. And Jesus will continue to catch more men and women for himself until he returns. So that's encouraging. Like, that's meant to encourage us. So here's what I want to take the time to do right now as I start to wrap up this morning. I want to go fishing. So this Jesus that we have been talking about this morning, he came to earth for the specific purpose of saving sinners. I mean, this world is a broken place. It does not take very long to look around and see that this world is so broken. And it's broken because sin has entered into this world. And it's this sin that not only affects us, it affects the brokenness, it's what also leads to death. This is why Jesus came into the world. Jesus came to this world to defeat sin, to fix the brokenness, and bring life to those who believe in him. And the way Jesus fixed this brokenness and to defeat sin was by living a perfect life. One of the amazing things about Jesus in his 33 years that he never sinned once. He had a perfect record of righteousness. And what this did was it qualified Jesus to go to the cross. And the reason Jesus went to the cross was there was a sacrifice that needed to be made. It had to be a perfect sacrifice as well. And that sacrifice was needed in order for there to be a punishment for sin. Punishment needed to take place. But none of us were qualified to to pay that price for our sin. But Jesus was uniquely qualified. So Jesus went to the cross. And while Jesus was on that cross, he bore the punishment that we deserved. He took our sin. He took our guilt. He took our shame upon himself. He took that wrath that we deserved and he bore it all for those who would believe in him. And at the death of Jesus, sin was defeated. The payment was made. But then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And when that happened, Jesus defeated death and he brought eternal life to all who would believe in him. This is what Jesus did to secure our salvation to all who would believe in him and trust in his name. So this is a call to believe that Jesus is God. This is a call to believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation, that we can do nothing in ourselves to save ourselves, that is only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then to trust in that sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf that brings that forgiveness of sins for you. 
that Peter was, he saw he was a sinful man and he saw that Jesus was holy. And there is a separation there. But when Jesus died, he broke down that separation. And that when we repent and when we turn for our sins and we turn from that life, say, I don't want to live that way anymore. And we turn to Jesus. We're saying, I'm trusting in you, Jesus, to be my Savior. But not only that, there is also a call to follow Jesus as Lord. Because look with me back in Luke chapter 5. At verse 11, look at the way our passage ends here this morning. And when they had brought their boats to land, it says they left everything and followed him. Peter, James, and John leave behind their fishing way of life. And what I think is interesting, I think it implies in here that they left their record catch of fish behind and followed Jesus. This is a call to follow Jesus as your Lord. Now, this does not necessarily mean that you must give up your job to follow Jesus. But what I think it does mean is that you leave your old life behind. You live your old way of living behind. You live your, your, your sense of just living for self behind. That instead, you want to live for Jesus and you want to follow after him because you see the futility of this world compared to the fullness of Jesus. Like, I don't know how much money the disciples left behind with this fish. But what they saw is they said, you know what? I've just seen something more valuable than a record catch of fish. And that's in Jesus. And I want in on that. And so this is not just seeing Jesus as a great Savior or, and a great Lord. But it's also saying, I see Jesus as my greatest treasure. And I want to know him. This is what Jesus will bring to you. He will bring forgiveness of sins. He will bring a right relationship with God with you, which means you will have peace that you've never experienced before. It means you will have eternal life with him. It means you will have a life of deeper meaning and significance and joy. So can I encourage you this morning, if you are in here in this room and you don't know Jesus, let today be the day of salvation for you. I mean, I would love to spend some time talking to you about Jesus after this sermon, even this morning. I mean, our normal practices after the sermon is over and we dismiss, we're out there greeting people as you leave. This morning, I'm going to be down here up front that if you want to talk more about this Jesus, I would love to spend time talking more to you about this Jesus. But to my fellow Christ followers in this room this morning, can I encourage you with something? Let's go fishing. Maybe you haven't gone fishing for Christ in a while. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're discouraged. Or maybe you've lost hope. Maybe you've toiled all night and caught nothing. Can I encourage you this morning? Let these words of Jesus renew your hope of going on mission for him. And don't give up on the fishing. Whether it be someone within your family, or maybe it's your neighbors, or maybe it's some co-workers, or maybe just people in the community that you rub shoulders with. Can I encourage you, don't give up on fishing. Jesus has promised that we will catch men. And it's a promise that the catch will be immense. 
It may not be in the timing that we think it should be or at the place that we think it should be, but Jesus is going to work and he's going to work in unexpected ways. Luke chapter 5 was an unexpected thing that happened. And so in the same way, Jesus is going to work in unexpected ways. So let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, looking to him for his power to work and his timing and in his way. And let's go fishing. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the story in Luke chapter 5 this morning because it shows greatness of Jesus being on full display. And we thank you for that revelation that you give us of Jesus. That you are the great fisher of men and you will bring in a great catch for your kingdom. And yet there's a call for us this morning, a call that we are to trust in your name and go do what you've called us to do. And so God, I pray that, it, I pray that we would be encouraged to be on mission for you. And I pray that you would be working as we go. We know that it's not in our power, it's not in our great arguments or our biblical knowledge. At the end of the day, it's you are the one that is going to save people. So I do pray, God, I pray that you would be working. I pray that you would bring in a great catch in Fremont. Lord, we want to see men and women, we want to see students come to know you. So God, I pray that you would work, and I pray that you would help us to not give up hope in that work. And I pray that this passage would give us encouragement and boldness to do that work. I pray that we would be mindful fishermen looking for places to go to be able to proclaim Jesus. I thank you that you have called us. I thank you that you have saved us. Thank you for this incredible gift. Thank you for being the master fisherman. We pray this in your name. Amen. So today is a Lord's Supper Sunday.